This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Well, we promised on last week's program that for today's show, we'd be talking about Washington, D.C. and sex scandals. And wouldn't you know it, like clockwork, there's another sex scandal currently going on in Washington, D.C. involving former House Speaker Dennis Hastert. Yes, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Although prosecutors are being coy about the details, it appears that uh, Speaker Hastert engaged in some improprieties with a former pupil who was, I guess, a wrestler when he was the wrestling coach. So it may be especially interesting today to speak with Henry Vinson, the author of Confessions of a D.C. Madam, The Politics of Sex, Lies, and Blackmail. Mr. Vinson ran the largest gay escort service in Washington, D.C. during the late Reagan, early Bush 41 years. This will be interesting. Stick around. And closer to home, we like to always promote things going on in the Davis-slash-Sacramento area when we can. And we would note that we have perhaps been remiss on this program in not addressing art issues more often. The reason for this is simple. The host of the program feels he's incompetent to deal with it. But there is currently an exhibit at the John Utsulis Gallery here in Davis. And we're delighted that we'll be able to speak with the featured artist Laura Holvine later in the program. Laura has an exhibit of modern art in Davis, but is also my neighbor in Sacramento. So what a perfect synergy for a community-based radio show, eh? This correspondent had a chance to travel to Petaluma to see excerpts from the movie Three Still Standing about the aforementioned Mr. Durst, as well as fellow comics Larry Bubbles Brown and Johnny Steele. Three of them did a wonderful mix of cinema and live performance. And we'll have more to say about that in segment three. But let's begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 4th of June. It was on June 4th in 1892 that the Sierra Club was founded to, quote, make the mountains glad, unquote, in the words of Scottish-born American environmentalist John Muir, who would serve as the organization's president until his death in 1914. Muir's identification with the Sierra Club, which now has 70,000 members, made it the dominant force in the grassroots American environmental movement. Opine President Theodore Roosevelt, Muir was a great factor in influencing the thought of California and the thought of the entire country to secure the preservation of these great natural phenomena. Now, some we've had on this program have accused the Sierra Club of not being as aggressive of late as it should be in dealing with things like the attempted water theft through the Delta Tunnels, Jerry Brown's proposing, using the California drought as political cover. I'm not sure it's fair to slander the Sierra Club over this, but I do know that the water expert I was speaking to in the gym yesterday augmented some of the stats we were throwing around on this program about water wastage. Said investigative journalist Dan Bacher, the added acreage of walnuts, pistachios, almonds, etc., that California agricultural corporate interests are planting in the ground in these drought years will require an additional 500,000 acre feet of water to irrigate. That's just what we're adding to. That represents half the storage capacity of Folsom Lake. That, of course, is when it's full during these drought years. 
I also spoke with a friend over in St. Helena who notes that uh, the people in that area are being threatened with various fines, etc. if they do not conserve water. Meanwhile, the local wineries are not facing any restrictions. But I digress. We were talking about this date in history, were we not? Well, it was on June 4th in 1934 that FDR asked the U.S. Congress to allocate to allocate $525 million to mitigate the effects of drought that was turning the nation's breadbasket into the Dust Bowl. This puts me right back into water again, doesn't it? It turns out the reason there was a Dust Bowl was because of federal policies to plow west of the 100th meridian in the United States, arguing via specious science that water would follow the plow. And when water did not follow the plow, all these acreages which should have been left as grazing land, then blew away in dust storms. Again, catastrophes related to governmental water policies. All right, let's see if I can find some good news. How about the miracle of Dunkirk? It was on June 4th in 1940 that the last of 338,000 British troops were evacuated from Dunkirk in northern France where they'd been driven back by the Nazi Blitzkrieg. The fleet that rescued them contained many private vessels, such as motor yachts and fishing boats, often piloted by their civilian owners. These little ships played a vital part in rescuing troops from the Dunkirk beaches after ships sunk by German aircraft made the harbor inaccessible. With the British Navy expected to be able to rescue only 30,000 of the troops, this operation turned defeat into a national triumph, and the term Dunkirk Spirit became a lasting byword for cooperation in times of trouble. And frankly, we could use a bit of Dunkirk spirit right now. Our quote of the day comes from psychiatric gadfly and psychiatrist Thomas Zaz, who said, The neurotic has problems. The psychotic has solutions. Our quips of the day, we have two. First come from Bertrand Russell. We've used it before, I think, but let's use it again. Russell noted, People never gossip about the secret virtues of others. And novelist Ian McEwan noted that what is lawful is not always identical to what is right. Frankly, we're not sure there's a very good correlation. Our anecdote of the day, we're going to rely on the Week magazine, is that apparently when Tori Nelson, teacher, found one of her fourth grade students crying outside the classroom, she quickly hatched a plan to make him feel better. Evidently, Matthew Finney told her that older kids had teased him on the school bus about his new buzz cut. Nelson then surprised him by offering to let him shave her head so that they'd match. The nine-year-old gleefully shaved his teacher's hair off on the playground while the other students cheered. Said Nelson, it was a lot of fun for the kids. Teaching isn't just about reading and writing. It's about self-esteem and accepting differences. And we think that was a cool gesture. Our stat of the day, according to the Wall Street Journal, And yes, we do sometimes rely on the WSJ's reporting, even though the editorial pages appear to be run by apes. Their stat is that senior executives and middle managers spend an average of more than 21 hours in meetings each week, a figure that has jumped 8 to 10% each year since the year 2000. Meetings are also taking up too much space. Although 73% of meetings involve just two to four people, 53% of conference rooms are built to accommodate seven or more. We tend to think of meetings on this program as once in a while necessary evils, but usually not. 
and analogous to going jogging with other folks while holding hands. And for our good news of the week, we have the FBI and American government's indictment of world soccer and why it is that, that America, a nation generally bored to tears by world soccer, has gotten involved in this. Well, we don't have an explanation for that, but we would like to quote from The Economist. Seven senior officials of FIFA, football's world governing body, were arrested on the morning of May 27th at a Swiss hotel. The arrests are part of a wide-ranging investigation by America's FBI into corruption at FIFA dating back over two decades. Noted The Economist, America's extraterritorial jurisdiction is often excessive in its zeal and overbearing in its methods. But in this instance, it deserves the gratitude of football fans everywhere. The hope must be that FIFA's impunity is at last brought to an end, and with it the career of the ineffably complacent Sepp Blatter, its 79-year-old president, who was nonetheless expected to be re-elected for a fifth term after The Economist had gone to print, and in fact he was. Under the magazine, the evidence of systematic corruption at FIFA has been accumulating for years, but it came to a head in 2010 with the bidding for two World Cups. When the right to hold the competition in 2022 was won by tiny, bakingly hot Qatar against the strong advice of FIFA's own technical committee, suspicions that votes had been bought were immediately aroused. The magazine doesn't make reference to the fact that the 2018 World Cup uh, to be held in Russia is also under suspicion, but it seems generally agreed that Qatar, a nation with no tradition of soccer slash football, was a rather peculiar choice to host the World Cup since it is unhealthily hot during the summer months. Well, The Economist refers to the fact that Qatari FIFA official Mohammed bin Hammam allegedly wooed football bigwigs in Africa with a $5 million slush fund, and we hope they do clean this up. We understand the Australians were pretty miffed about the fact that they were turned down for hosting the World Cup because they were asking to do it in the winter, their summer. They got turned down, but Qatar, which is proposed that uh, they hold games when it won't kill people, i.e. in the winter, and got accepted, well, that, again, just raised a few more eyebrows. Anyway, once they get their corruption charges sorted out, perhaps they can deal with the issue of how to make soccer interesting. And I know, save the hate mail, save the, save, save the hate mail, you soccer fans. We know that some of you embrace those nil-nil ties. We refer back to the David Letterman top 10 suggestion that you could perhaps make more, that you could perhaps make soccer more interesting if you gave at least one player one of them James Bond jetpacks. All right, for our jokes of the day, we're going to borrow from that event in Petaluma. We've quoted Will Durst so many times we're going to borrow from his compatriots Johnny Steele and Larry Bubbles Brown. Johnny Steele may mention the fact that uh, there's often stories in the news about a guy who's a sex addict, said Johnny Steele. Yeah, they may refer to the fact that this guy needs sex three times a day. He's an addict, prompting him to make mention of all those food addicts out there who also demand food three times a day, said Johnny Steele. A better description for them might be Men. And as far as jokes go, it's hard to beat Larry Brown's one-liner about the fact that, uh, well, said Larry, I have only one friend. Pause. And he's in the diamond business.
we got a lot of things to cover, so let's jump right into the good, the bad, and the ugly, shall we? According to the week, it was a good week last week for getting up in the morning after a new University of Texas study found that drinking two cups of coffee a day lowers men's risk for erectile dysfunction by 42%. As the owner and operator of a clinic that treats erectile dysfunction, the host of this program is skeptical at this statistic, but has to admit it merits further investigation. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for school administration with the news that a Texas high school senior was evidently suspended and barred from graduation last week after a can of Bud Light was found in a cooler in his truck. Quentin Walker says he didn't realize the single beer can was still in the soda-filled cooler that his mother had packed for a family picnic the previous weekend. Said Walker, I worked 12 years to walk across that stage. This is just crazy. Finally, it was an ugly week last week for elephants with the news that after decimating the Tanzanian elephant population, poachers have now killed half of the elephants in neighboring Mozambique in just five years. A survey by Mozambique's government and the U.S.-based Wildlife Conservation Society found that the elephant herd had shrunk from 20,000 in 2010 to just over 10,000 today. This decline is due to rampant elephant poaching in the country's most important elephant populations, said the society. Mozambique criminalized the killing of elephants only a year ago, and activists suspect that poachers have simply paid off police and border guards. You know, we've been taking a look at this story for quite a while and sort of sitting on it because it's just so damn depressing. We do know that there was a full-page ad in The Week magazine from a group called 96elephants.org. I'm taking a look at the website. It's talking about how things need to be done to stop the sale of ivory. This might be something to encourage the U.S. government to lean on the Chinese for, since I understand that an awful lot of the ivory poach from Africa is going to China. For their part, the Chinese uh, people apparently are unaware of the fact that to have ivory, you have to kill the elephant. So I imagine a lot of good could be done by just getting the word out on that score. We note that Ms. McMillan has received word that apparently some people are interested in hiring mercenaries, putting them to some good use maybe going over to Africa and fighting some of these poachers. Evidently, the poaching rates do go down when armed men are out there protecting the wildlife. We think this should be encouraged. Of course, the opinion that armed mercenaries might do a lot of good to combat poaching, like all opinions heard on this program, does not necessarily represent that of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Speaking of the University of California, this past weekend there was a vote by the ASUCD, the Associated Students of UC Davis, over how much of their funding could be used to support this radio station. From what I understand, a proposed $10,000 cutback was averted. But we don't know that much about it, and hopefully we'll bring some people on the program who can address the issue of how more funds can be raised for this Worthy cause, this KDVS. All right, let's hear from the third guy among the three still standing, our old pal, Mr. Will Durst. (laughs) 
guys, Will Durst here to say that population scientists describe the baby boom generation as anybody born between 1946 and 1964, which means the youngest baby boomer turned 50 last year, which is just so wrong. Boomers are the architects of the youth culture. We're the Pepsi generation that had a minor fling with Coke. But as demonstrated throughout our flower-powered history, we enter this new phase of life with unwavering optimism, a firm commitment to effect positive change, and pockets full of drugs. But you kids shouldn't think that growing old is all gloom and doom. No, no, no. An equal amount of good travels with the gruesome, which is why we now present the four major advantages and disadvantages of being a baby boomer. First, the disadvantages. Number one, exorbitant costs for replacement parts. Number two, sex and drugs and rock and roll, and now naps. C, when acid flashbacks meet dementia. Number three, turns out that old adage was right. The good do die young, which explains why we're still here. And finally, your children are no longer reliable sources when it comes to tech support, and all the grandchildren have lost the ability to pick up a phone. Now, here's four of the advantages to being a baby boomer. Number one, fewer peers means less peer pressure, and it diminishes every day. Number two, going to the bathroom three times a night turns out to be a highly effective means of home security. D. In hostage situations, chances are you'll be among the first released. Number four, you no longer have to worry about being the fresh young thing in prison. Sweet. And finally, your knees are better at predicting the weather than the guy on TV. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. You know, he really is America's foremost political comic. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.